Thank you for joining us for our Renewal City Church podcast. If you're looking for ways to get involved, join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Roxy Theater in Longview. Or find us online at rcclongview.org. We hope you're blessed and that this message finds you well. Uh, I'm I'm uh, wrestling a little bit with where to go with everything today, but uh, I was... Uh, well, a few things are, are happening today. One, we are kicking off, uh, this is day zero, so this is the intro day for our 40 days uh, for fullness. Um, and I know a lot of you have signed up online to participate in that. We have a daily devotional uh, that is in print form. We've got them hot off the presses. Susie Murray spent her whole weekend putting these together for us. And they look so cool that I know that some of you signed up online and didn't sign up for a paper version because you're... Like, pen and paper is way too old school for me, but uh, if you want to take one home today and you didn't sign up for one, I would say that's fine, because they do look so cool. Uh, uh, so they are sitting in, in boxes at either side. I would just encourage you to be sure to grab that. Uh, we have six weeks worth of daily devotional content for you. Uh, the text messages did happen to get out for the first day today as well, right? Yeah, oh, okay, I saw just shaking her head, but she's just shaking her head. Because uh, they were supposed to go out at 6 a.m. every day. So you might want to silence that on your phone if you have your phone by the bed and you don't get up at 6 a.m. to spend time with the Lord. Or, or maybe you want to leave it on. It'll be a reminder to wake up and do that. Um, but the, the audio versions went out. Jess had to get on the phone with the people we're paying to be able to send text messages out automatedly. And uh, hopefully she won't be having to do that every morning or email them or whatever. she. I don't know. She did whatever she had to do this morning to make sure it went out because it didn't go out at first. Um, but And then we've got all these different small group options as well, um, and when the announcement QR code goes up, that's, that's your cue. If you haven't signed up to participate in this, to, to fill out the form for that, um, and there's a list of, of options. We've got uh, just about every day of the work, week covered. We've got all different times of the week out there, and, there's just, and, and then there's also a make your own option. So uh, we really want people to participate uh, daily in this, in your time with the Lord, and then weekly in, in engaging the body of, of Christ somehow. Maybe just one or two other people, but having a conversation about how your daily devotional experience is going, what God's speaking to you, what kinds of areas you're being challenged in your faith, or, or things like that, and then praying for one another. And so uh, we're really hopeful that as we spend the next six weeks doing this all together, that we will experience uh, just the fullness of God's presence in, in new and fresh ways that will be good for us. And so uh, that's the plan, and you're all a part of it. Um, that being said, I, this is happening here with us, but uh, this is, of course, all happening in the context of the world that we live in and, and global events as well, and I was... Uh, sharing with Tyler before the service, like my heart has just been so heavy with the, the violence, the loss of life, the, it, with more pending violence and more loss of life, and just uh, heavy with the whole situation over in Israel. And, and I, don't, I don't even really know how to, to rightfully respond to all of these things. Uh, the last couple of years, we've had uh, a missionary come and, and do a traditional Seder dinner for us, a, a missionary from Israel. 
uh, a Jewish guy named Yoel Ben David, and and he's been with us the last couple of years, and he's there in, in still in Israel now, you know, serving and doing the ministry in the context of everything that's happening. And then uh, I think many of you got to know Stevie and Khadr. They were a, a family that's here. She's from Callas County, but she's her husband is a, a Palestinian Christian, um, Arab Christian over there, and and they do ministry to Palestinians, and, and so. Um, it, it doesn't take much for me to feel like you're renewal family. I mean, there's people all over our community and all over the world that I feel like, yeah, they're renewal family people. They, they might not actually attend church here regularly, but they, they've maybe visited or they've been a part of it, or I just feel some affinity for them and, and they're renewal family. And so I, I feel in one sense like, like this, uh, just connection to the, the violence, the instability. And of course, uh, as modern-day Christians, we see the Jews as the family that we've been grafted into, right, in Jesus Christ. And so these are our, our uh, this is all our beloved family. Of course, Jesus also tore down the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. And so we see on the other side of the line, all the, all the, all the Arab world is our family as well. And so we have this, this, everything that we're trying to do is is uh, with this launching of 40 days of fullness and wanting to be focused on our own spiritual growth and life, we're missing the point if we don't see it as somehow being connected to everything else uh, around us. And uh, I was listening to a, a Jewish rabbi uh, talking this week about the whole situation, and she's in New York, and, and she was like, the way that I'm staying connected to you know my people who are, are suffering and facing uh, great difficulty over there. She's like, the way that I'm doing it is I'm fasting for, for as long as, as we Jews can remember when we've been faced with difficult circumstances, we've, we've turned to fasting. And I thought, how crazy. I was just talking about fasting a couple days ago on Sunday as I'm listening to this thing this week. And I was like, and I was planning to fast this week, starting today. And, and I just felt if nothing else, uh, an opportunity here to invite all of you to, if, if you're not planning to fast this week, to maybe reconsider that. Like, this is a way that the people of God have connected themselves to suffering people throughout history in denying themselves uh, certain foods or certain pleasures for a period of time, saying, I'm, I'm going to willfully will myself to suffer along with those who are suffering. And, and it just seems like a, a kingdom way for us to be connected to these realities, to spend some time fasting and praying. And so... Um, so yeah, I, I just want to encourage you again in that. Um, let's pray before we get into the teaching for today. Lord, we uh, come before you today mindful of people in our world who are waking up without today. People who have lost loved ones, people who have lost homes, people who uh, are facing the prospect of losing loved ones and losing homes and, and just knowing that uh, we live in a world where humanity has has torn each other to pieces uh, since the first family. And um, we know that that breaks your heart, and we know that you are bringing out of those people who tear each other to pieces, uh, a people who are defined by uh, and, and made in your image and defined by the love that you have for us and for all of humanity. And, and we know that we are called to be a part of those people. And so we just pray that you would give us wisdom to navigate these difficult times, that you would help our hearts to be near to those who are suffering, and you would just remind us each and every day um, 
how incredibly fortunate we are to be where we are at, living in the time that we're living in, and uh, and to be the objects of, of your love and affection. Um, as we turn to your word today, we just ask that you would open our hearts to receive the things that you have for us. And as we intend just to set this period of time aside moving forward to seek your face, uh, we pray that we would uh, we would find you meeting us in in new and fresh ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you here have known me for much of my life. Uh, my parents are, are sitting here today, and they've known me uh, as long as I've been alive. Uh, others of you haven't, but uh, it, you might be interested to learn that if you had known, you know, 10, 11-year-old James back in the day, uh, I was a Lego fanatic. Uh, more specifically, I was a castle Lego fanatic. Um, I, 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 you know, my brothers and I, we, we had Legos, we played with Legos, we built with Legos. Uh, we built with Legos the right way, uh, which means making the sorts of things that, uh, that Lego would sell themselves if they had the good fortune of having you work for them. And, um, and we actually en- entered some of our Lego collections in, in the local fair growing up. And we're rewarded cash prizes for the quality of our work. Um, blue ribbons and cash prizes. And I mean, if you came home with a second place ribbon for your Lego collection in the Dieter family, it, you might as well be coming home with trash. I mean, not only that, but second place only paid 75 cents. First place was a whole dollar. So uh, anyhow, um, so I, I lived to, to build Legos, to create Legos. And, um, and, and in 1992, so when I was 10 years old, Lego came out with, with this remarkable new line in the castle theme, uh, the Wolfpack Legos. Uh, I, I know I have a slide. I can throw it up if, if, oh, we got it there. There we go. The Wolfpack Legos. So they introduced it with, uh, a, the Wolfpack Renegade, which was a, a pretty sweet, uh, chariot that had a secret compartment in the bottom that a Lego treasure chest fit in. Uh, quite possibly one of the best Lego sets of all time, just a little tiny set. And then they had this as their main hideout and lair, the Wolfpack Tower. Now, the Wolfpack Tower uh, was a little overpriced. It was $29, uh, and it was only 236 pieces, which if you're a Lego connoisseur, you know 10 cents a piece is kind of what you aim for, and that's more than 10 cents a piece. So it was a bit of a ripoff. And... Um, and, uh, and, and just under $30, $29.75 was the original retail on this. Now, uh, when I was 10, 11 years old, my monthly income was $5 a month. And, and because my parents loved me and they wanted to teach me to manage, manage money well, uh, there was, uh, you got the $5 for all the hard work that you did. It probably worked out to about 10 cents an hour. Um, but you got the $5, and, and every month you set a dollar aside to save for Christmas presents for your siblings because a gift doesn't mean anything if, you don't, if it doesn't cost you something to give. And uh, every month you set a dollar aside for your long-term savings because only an idiot wouldn't be saving for long-term stuff. And, and then you set 50 cents aside, a tenth, as tithe for the church. And let me tell you, when the dear kids brought their 50 cents in every month, the church secretary just breathed a sigh of relief. We're going to be able to pay these bills now. These people are bringing their money in. Uh, because we trust in the Lord to provide for us, and we want to honor him with the first of our wealth. So 
Uh, if you're doing the math, that leaves you with $2.50 for whatever you want to spend it on, which was more back then, but still not very much. Uh, and so uh, if you're doing the math, uh, how long would you have to save $2.50 to buy a, a $30 Lego set? About a year, right? But if you have a twin brother who's similarly motivated and has the same income level as you, you can combine your purchasing power and cut that time in half. So for six months, we slaved away, you know, doing the dishes every night, cleaning the house, cutting the grass, patching the roof, fixing the car. We did it all. And, and putting that money away, I, I, we, have, we had an old tin of, of Quaker oats. Actually, my brother still has the tin in his PE office. This is what we saved our money in. And he still has the metal tin in his PE office. It's a pencil box for kids. If they knew the history, the, the stories that tin could tell. Um, but we, we saved our money up. And we got $30. And, and we sent mom into town. She was going into town for groceries or something. So, she, you know, she hitched the horses up to the buck wagon and took, took them into town. And uh, we gave her the cash. She went into the, to the general prospector, and she came home with the wolf pack tower. And, and so uh, Jason and I, my twin brother, we worked feverishly to, to build the thing and, and put it all together. And this is six months of hard work culminating in a moment of incredible satisfaction and contentment. And, and as we finished it, while, while we were assembling, I remember in my heart feeling some disappointment. Uh, feeling some real disappointment. Uh, and of course, you know how it is when you've invested a lot into something and you're trying to comfort yourself with thoughts of like, no, this actually is the best thing I've ever experienced. It's, it's not that bad. Um, it, it was disappointing. Uh, I'll, I'll point out the flaws for you just in case you can't see it, obviously, from the picture. Because in hindsight, I should have seen it, obviously, from the picture. One, it's really hard to make anything cool with only 236 Lego pieces. So we'll give Lego a bit of a pass for this. But two... Uh, there's not really any ramparts for the characters to stand on in the tower. Uh, the thing that, that the black-hooded wolf pack guy is standing on the top is this janky two-by-six piece that's just left across the top, and then there's a little one-by-one one in each corner pretending like that's a respectable rampart. Lego should be ashamed of themselves. Look, you can actually see all the way through. How does that not protect, you know, how does that protect him from archers or attackers or things like that? Um, Three, you can't see this in the picture, but there's no gate. There's a chintzy Lego ladder that hangs down inverted in front of the gate that you're supposed to use your imagination to say this is a portcullis. But no self-respecting, you know, architect of the medieval times would ever think that's the case. It's got no gate. Uh, and, and it comes with three minifigures, which is hardly an army. And so you, you imagine the wolf pack being introduced as this new power-playing faction into your kingdoms, right? But you've bought the only wolf pack sets, which is two of them. You've only got five guys, and so they never were what they could have been. How many of you have ever invested time into getting something that you hoped would be satisfying only to find it disappointing in the end? Anyone? Anyone else have an experience like this? Were there any other proud owners of the Wolfpack Tower from back in the day? Yes. All right. All right. Kyle had one. Disappointing, right? A little disappointing? Yeah. You. Oh, you don't. You can't even remember it. Yeah. Really disappointing. 
I, I think one thing that you'll find in a society of consumers and a materialistic society is that this kind of stuff is often the case. Like you're hungry for something and, and, and you are told by society that if you pursue this or do that, it's going to be really, really great. And, and then you go and do that thing or you buy that item and you find out that it's something less than actually filling. And sometimes it might cause you to ask the question, is there anything out there that will really leave me satisfied? Is there anything out there that can really satisfy the longing of our soul? One of the main points that's made in Christian apologetics is is that if you have an appetite for something, it's because there is something that would fulfill that need. And so where humanity has this space within themselves that is constantly in need of something, there must be something out there that would fill it. And of course, Christians will testify that it's only God's presence that seems to adequately fill that space in my life. When I feel God's nearness to me and that he is present, I feel something within myself that could only be described as as fullness, as contentment, that, that maybe defies the circumstances that I'm living in or the things that are around me. But but even despite all of that, I feel in my soul a, a fullness and a, and a wellness. Jesus had some things to say about the, the human appetites. Uh, his words on the Sermon on the, on the Mount are, are what come to mind for me. Uh, this is out of Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6. Jesus said to the crowd, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled I imagine Jesus saying these words in the day that he said them because they, it means something different to say hunger and thirst for righteousness to someone like myself who's never missed a meal that I, that I didn't want to eat, right? Or that I did want to eat. I've missed meals that I didn't want to eat, but the ones that I did want to eat, never missed a meal. Jesus is speaking to a crowd in, in a food-scarce society. He's speaking to a crowd that lives in a totally different life than we do. There's a lot more work to it. And words like this just land a little differently depending on people's backgrounds. So what's it like to hear these words? You will be filled if you don't know where your next meal is, is going to come from today. Or, or what's it like to, to hear these words if you're finding yourself constantly going without so that your children are going to have enough? And then this teacher, this rabbi comes to you and, and this teacher whose words really seem to mean something. This isn't like you're your, you know, teacher from middle school that put you to sleep in every class. Like, this is a teacher that, I mean, the, the, the people around him marveled when he spoke because he didn't talk like other people. Maybe you've known some teachers like that in, in your own life, people that could actually hold your attention for a period of time and move your heart with the words that they said. And that, But this teacher says to you, he says, Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness because you will be filled. How much is it that, that actually feeling hunger and feeling thirst um, increases the experience of, or the, the value of the experience of actually finding something good to eat or finding something cool to drink? The way that Jesus says this, I think, makes it sound a little bit like part of being filled is being hungry for the right things. 
You're blessed not just if you hunger and thirst, but you're blessed if you're hunger and thirsting for righteousness. Which, to me, brings up the question of, well, how do I make sure that I'm hungering and thirsting for righteousness? If that's what it takes to be filled and I want to be filled, how do I do that? Which, of course, brings up the question, well, what is righteousness? What does he mean by this word? Is it meaning wanting to do righteous things? Does it mean wanting to be, you know, called righteous? The Greek word that Jesus uses there is, is a word called dikaia uh, sune, which uh, is the state of someone who is, is in, in a state that they ought to be. So when someone is in the state that they ought to be, that's, that's the word that Jesus uses here. Someone who is as they should be. Someone who's living as they were created to live. It's, it's a word that's often used to translate. In the Greek, it was used to translate the Hebrew idea of, of sedek or sedekah, which is the word that is always translated in English, righteousness or justice in the Old Testament. And it was used to describe people who were as, as they ought to be, or in other words, people who were in a right standing before God. I got a little bit of a, a, a little bit of goosebumps when Joel was closing the worship time down and he was talking about the state in the garden, right? Like, this is how we were meant to be worshiping you. I was like, oh, I'm talking about this today. This is so good. Like, this is as we're, we were there. We have a picture in scripture of how we were meant to live. And it's a picture of God dwelling with his creation in the garden. And, and through a relationship with him, he's empowered them to rule and reign, to be his image bearers in all of creation. And, and, uh, and righteousness is a picture of human beings living in that state, somehow living in the presence of God, naked and, and unashamed, living in the presence of God, trusting Him, believing in Him. The narrative of the Old Testament is God reinviting humanity into that relationship. Like He's never given up on the garden. And He's inviting humanity, saying, Enter into a trusting and believing relationship with me. This is how you were meant to live. When we use the word righteous today, I think a lot of times we might think of things like innocent. They're a righteous person. They haven't done anything wrong. But that's really only part of, of the idea behind the word. There's, there's more of a relational theme here. We talk about in a right standing before God. Even that, it's not a right standing before the law, like you haven't broken any of the rules, but it's a right standing before God, the person. So we're talking about a relational truth here. I think in an individualized society, we, we really have to emphasize this part of it because we're just not used to thinking about things that way. You know, my oldest son is got his license for a few months now. He's been driving a car. Of course, these conversations happen going into it. Like, don't drive faster than the speed limit, right? Why? Well, because it's against the law. That's why. And that's a good answer. But why? Well, more importantly, because I have a deep concern for all of the people around me and their safety. And we, we live in a society that's agreed that it's safest for everybody involved if you only drive 20 miles an hour in a school zone. We don't want anyone running over a kid. 
we're used to doing things because it's the law. We're not used to doing things because we think about how what we do impacts the people who are around us. We just don't naturally think that way. I, I feel inadequate in my parenting because it's so easy for me to be like, it's just because it's the law. It's like, no, that's not how kingdom people think. We don't do things because it's the law. We do things because of how it impacts the relationships with people around us. Anyhow, this word is used to describe that kind of thing. And in fact, in the Hebrew traditions, the word uh, sedek or sedekah, it became used largely to describe the obligation that Jews had to be charitable towards others who were in need, to care for other people around them. To do the right thing for others, even if it costs them dearly. I've been reading a novel called The Nightingale. Um, I, 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 For years, all I ever read was like church books, like how to be a better pastor, theology stuff, things like that. But I've, I've fallen into the wonderful world of fiction uh, recently. And um, just because Laura will read these really good books and be like, this is a really good book. And I'm like, okay, I guess I'll, I'll read a really good book. Um, I've been watching way too much TV lately anyway, so a good book sounds like a good escape. Anyhow, it's a novel about, uh, it's in France during World War II, and, and it's a novel about these two sisters and the risks that they take to care for other people. So uh, downed RAF pilots and, and Jews and, and things like that. But it, it, these, the beautiful thing about the story, I haven't finished it yet, but uh, it's, it's one of the most beautifully written books I've ever read. And... And the picture of these women, like, I see the righteousness of God in them. In this willingness to care for somebody else, even though it's costly to yourself, even though it means a sacrifice. It's, it, what is that? Who is God? But the one who's defined by self-giving, self-sacrificing love where he looks at us and would be totally justified in being like, well, not my problem. They made this mess themselves. But instead of saying that, he enters into the mess, clothes himself in the mess, isn't afraid to get into it with us, and then offers up his very life so that we will not, we'll be shielded from the, the consequences of our actions. The score, story of Scripture is about God coming in and doing the mess that Adam created, undoing the mess that humanity has created, and showing us a new way to live. God's righteousness is all about his commitment to do right by us, no matter what it costs him, and even if we don't deserve it. So when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled, he could be saying, like in the James Dieter version of Scripture, which is not a version I would ever buy or encourage you to buy, but he could be saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for the right kind of relational standing before God. For they're going to be filled. Or blessed are those who hunger and thirst for the right relationships all around them. Scripture teaches us, how can you say that you love God if you don't love your fellow man who's been made in his image? And the Hebrew traditions, this whole idea of, of God's righteousness became, how do we care for the other people around us? And because we're the people of God, for them, this understanding of tzedakah, they were not off the hook even if they didn't have enough. Like, if you didn't have enough to care for somebody else, that was not an excuse for not caring for someone else. It was like, come on in, we'll each get a smaller portion for dinner, and we'll feed you. 
say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for, for caring for others. For they will be filled. Maybe that translation is a little bit of a stretch. But, but who is God? He's revealed in Scripture as the righteous one. He's the one who cares for us. And, and this commitment that he has to draw us into a right relationship with himself is, is it's astounding. It's, like, it's unlike anything else we would ever be able to conceptualize in the universe, that we have a creator who is fully committed to drawing us into a right relationship with him, drawing us into righteousness. This is why, this is why we also say he's the Holy One, because there is no one else like him in all creation. Scripture teaches us that if there is any true fulfillment to be had in this life, it's found in that place of right relationship with God. John 6 is going to be one of the readings in the devotional this week. Uh, Bonnie does a great job breaking it down. Uh, get your packet or sign up for the audio link and you'll, you'll enjoy it. Um, we won't get too deep into it, but it, it's this, this scene that happens right after Jesus feeds the 5,000. And Jesus takes an opportunity to begin to push this crowd that he's fed the day before, the bread that he multiplied. But he's trying to push this crowd toward the greater things that are going to leave them truly satisfied. And in John chapter 6, 35, Jesus declares to them, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They'll be filled. Blessed are those who come to Jesus, for they will be filled. How do we find right standing in our relationship for God? How do we find righteousness? Jesus said, come to me. Believe in me. Notice it's the same invitation that God has been giving to humanity since the garden, right? An invitation into a believing and trusting relationship. I am who I say I am. I've created you in my image. I love you more than life itself. Come to me, trusting that to be true. Jesus continues down in verse 47. He tells the crowd, he says, Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. Because I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. Talking about stories of Moses in the Old Testament. They ate that manna and yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. And whoever eats this bread will live forever. The bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Jesus is being admittedly a little bit cryptic here. And, and the crowd was concerned, and, and maybe people reading it today would be a little bit concerned that he's talking about cannibalism or some kind of weird religious ritual. And, and, and he's, he's not. He's meaning it to be a figure of speech. But the idea that his body that he's going to sacrifice is going to be the spiritual nourishment that humanity needs to live forever is the idea he's trying to get across here. And, and the one who believes in him and trusts in him and trusts in his work and his sacrifice is going to find eternal life. A life that lasts forever. A, a, a fullness that lasts forever. A satisfaction, a contentment that lasts forever. Coming to Jesus in a believing and a trusting relationship is the key to righteousness. A right relationship 
with God. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for this relational experience of through him knowing the Father, and they are going to be filled. In some ways, these next 40 days that we're setting aside to seek fullness in God, it's an experiment in testing these words of Jesus to see if they're really true. The idea that we're going to try to set some time aside to pursue spiritual disciplines of, of daily scripture reading and, and the discipline of, of reflecting and praying and the disciplines of, of fasting and the discipline of engaging in Christian community. Believing that all of these things are tools through which we're seeking Jesus Christ. And then doing all this, we're doing it with a hope and an, and an expectation that God is going to somehow meet us in, in the deep places of our soul. And we're going to find fullness. We're going to find ourselves filled in ways that we haven't experienced it before. My prayer is that each of us would take this opportunity to pursue this together. And out of pursuing it together, we would, we would be uh, propelling one another into a, a really spiritually enriching experience.